Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. So hey, if you uh, have or have not been with us, we are studying the gospel of Luke. We've been in Luke now for a long time and we're continuing to move our way through. Uh, I want to, we're in chapter 7 today, beginning in verse 11, 7-11, and I want to just read a couple verses first to set the context and then we'll kind of go from there. So if you could go ahead and just put that first one up, awesome. This is Luke seven eleven. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. So when we uh, last saw Jesus, he was in Capernaum. He has left Capernaum and is going towards Nain, which is a smaller little kind of fishing village about 20 miles to the south west of there. Um, We were told, if you remember last time when Jesus was in Capernaum, there was a crowd with him. Now Luke describes it as a large crowd. So the crowd is growing. As Jesus uh, goes about from place to place, he's healing people, he's ministering to people, he's bringing life, and it's attracting more and more people. And I was thinking of that this morning, and I realized that's as true today as it was then. When the presence of God shows up, it draws a crowd. And when God becomes real, uh, people hear about it and they want to know, they want to see, they want to find him. And so... Jesus is uh, moving from place to place. He's got this large crowd now with him. He's still outside of the town. and approach, so, so Jesus is with a large crowd of people walking towards town. And coming towards them on the same road is another large crowd of people that are walking out of town. So those two large crowds are about to intersect. The crowd leaving the town is a funeral procession. There were uh, religious laws dictating you couldn't bury someone in the city limits. They had to be either a certain distance outside of the town. And so the cemeteries, the burial places, were always outside of town. So they are going, this, this crowd is going to the cemetery with this young man to bury him. Uh, We don't know how old he was, but we know he was an only child. He was the only son of his mother. We're also told that she was a widow. So this is uh, a a sad day in the life of a uh, wounded person. This woman has uh, at some point lost her husband, and now she's lost her only son. Um. You know, it's, uh, I've never lost a child. So so I I don't, I can empathize with her, but I don't know that I really understand how she feels right now. 
Um, I can't imagine the grief of that. I know this much that that's not the way it's supposed to work. We have children and then they grow up and then we grow old and then they bury us. That's how it's supposed to work. That's the plan. Um, so I want you to, for a moment, just kind of think about this gal and the grief and the brokenness in her heart and sort of what she's experiencing here. To me, it's, it's a little overwhelming to even think about it. And so our title this morning is The Tender Heart of God. Uh, I want to pray for a minute and then we will uh, continue. Lord, I pray that you would give us insight into your heart for our brokenness today. Uh, that we could catch your heart for our pain and understand uh, the tender heart of God. In your name we pray. Amen. Next verse 13 says this. So again, the two crowds are intersecting on the road. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. The phrase there, uh, his heart went out to her, is uh, typically translates one word in Greek. The word is splagchinizomai, or something to that effect. It's a big word. It's typically translated compassion. Most places that that word is used in the New Testament, it just says he had compassion. In this particular passage, they, for some reason, put that his heart went out to her. But in either case, what the word denotes is a feeling that happens. Uh, It means literally, that it comes up from deep with inside of you. It comes from your guts or your bowels. It's something that takes place on the very, very depth of your being. Now, Luke, Luke tells us that this woman was a widow. Uh, I don't, so so we, Luke gives us that information. I don't know how Jesus knew that other than that he was Jesus. So he's having a, this is a random encounter. He's going towards this town. This funeral procession comes. He doesn't know this woman at all. He's never met her before, and yet his heart is broken on her behalf. And I want to say, that to me is true compassion. True compassion is to be moved by the plight, the pain of another person, even though you don't know that person. It's different when if a friend or a loved one is sad and you're sad with them, that's normal. That's just being a good friend. If your friend is sad and you're not sad, you're kind of a callous jerk. But it's different to experience compassion and pain on behalf of someone that you've never met before. And I don't know if you ever had that feeling. I have a couple of times in my life. I, uh, I travel to Central America a lot. You guys know that. And there was an occasion, one time, when, and I, and I, I love the people there, and my heart goes out to them, and, 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 and many of them are, are dear friends of mine. But on one occasion, early in our experience of going there, there in, in uh, Managua, Nicaragua, there is an oversight, kind of this uh, road that goes up the top of this big hill, and from that point, you can look down and you can see the whole city. 
And it's an interesting thing. There's a lake there and the, you know, that the city is built on, and you can see the lake. And then off to the left is the city dump. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, a dump in a developing country, but they're different than the dumps here. It's just a massive sprawl of garbage, and it's on fire all the time. The dump, uh, the trash decomposes underneath and releases methane gas, and so there's, there's fire and smoke coming up from the dump all the time. Yeah, it smells bad. I know, I can see you thinking that. Uh, and I remember being up on this hill and looking out over the city, and I could see the lake, and I could see the dump, and I could see the smoke coming from the dump, and it just broke my heart. And it's as close as maybe I've come to what Jesus feels. But I think it helps me to understand the tender heart of God is broken. See, that's what, that's what differentiates the, the men from the boys or God from us, if you will. What, the difference between God and us is that God's heart is broken at everyone's pain. God's heart is broken at all pain. He, he's looking out over everywhere all the time and he sees the pain of people and his heart breaks at it. And that's compassion. Compassion is that feeling. And, and, and look, compassion is a feeling that rises up inside of you, but it doesn't end there. And frankly, it doesn't begin there. Compassion is really a three-stage process as it's described in scripture. And it, it, it works like this. It begins with seeing and we'll look at a couple of texts in a moment, and I just explained a time when I saw. So the reality is it starts when you see something. You see someone. You see the pain of a person. You see the plight of a people. You see something happening, and then this feeling rises up from deep within inside of you, and, it, and it, you, you don't really have control over it. It's not something you want or ask for. In fact, most of the time when you feel true compassion, you probably don't want it because it's gut-wrenching. But it rises up from inside, but it doesn't end there. Compassion doesn't end with that. The reality is this, the third step of compassion is that you do something about it. So biblical compassion is not just a feeling, it's an action. Biblical compassion is an action word. It involves doing something. I want to look at the next verse, a couple examples of this in Matthew 9. Jesus says, it says, when he saw the crowds, this is Jesus, he had compassion on them. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus here is, has, I just hit me an experience kind of like mine. He's looking out over the city and he sees the people and they need help. And he's realizing Jesus understands who he is and how much time he has. And he goes, I need more help. And he prays that God will send people to take care of them. Matthew 14. One more. Jesus landed, he's on a, in a boat, he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So again, he sees a crowd, he feels this sense of pain and empathy for them, and then he does something about it, and he brings healing. The tender heart of God is a heart of action, and the heart of God goes out to us, and, and, and really this is the essence of what I want to say to us today. It, it doesn't, 
It's not just that God's heart is broken for you, but God wants to do something about the pain you're in. He doesn't ever want to leave us in that place that we're at. Let's uh, go back to our story for a minute. This young man, go ahead. When he saw the crowds, oh, go, go, for, go the other direction. Go one more. Do something. There it is. <laughs> so two crowds are walking by. Jesus' heart goes out to this woman. And he went up and he touched the buyer they were carrying him on. The buyer is just a framework that they carry the coffin on. Four men would carry it, one on each shoulder. And the bearers stood still. They stood still because that's against the law. You're not supposed to touch a body or anything connected to the body. That's a no-no. You don't do that. But Jesus sees this scenario. He reaches up and he touches it, and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God, and a, a great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. So Jesus reaches up and he touches the framework of the coffin that they're carrying this young man on, and then he speaks to a corpse. That's weird, but it works. He says, get up, and the dead guy does what he says, and he gets up. This is the uh, first instance of Jesus raising the dead in Luke's gospel. Uh, he had healed a couple of people already, but this is kind of next level, right? So you, you heal somebody that's sick, that's one thing, and now you raise somebody up that's died, that's sort of another thing. The people were amazed at this. They had never seen anything like that before. They had heard of it. There are stories in the Old Testament of both Elijah and Elisha raising the dead, and they were familiar with those stories, so they had heard of this happening, but never seen it before. And so that's why they say a great prophet is among us, because they're, they're comparing what Jesus just did with what Elijah and Elisha had done previously. And there are some parallels. If you go back and read those stories, uh, they, they were about a, a child that had died and restoring that child to their family, and there are some parallels. But there's also a very significant difference. And the difference is this. Elijah and Elisha spoke to God and God responded and raised the dead person to life. They spoke to God and God did the action. Jesus speaks to the dead guy. So in effect, he cuts out the middleman. Elijah was a prophet. He spoke to God and God acted. Jesus was God and he spoke to the dead guy and the dead guy got up. Uh, I think Jesus uh, kind of let people know here, this is not your everyday average garden variety prophet. This is a prophet of another level altogether. This is something you haven't seen before. I want to do a little theology this morning. I hope that's okay. 
there are um, attributes of God that are ascribed to God by theologians. We talk about God's holiness, talk about things like God's immutability, which means God is unchanging. And one of those attributes that's often ascribed to God is God's impassibility. Not impossibility, but impassibility with an A. And what that means is this, is that... Not only is God unchanging, but he's unaffected by outside forces. Because he's God, he stands alone. And so God is not swayed one way or the other by the circumstances surrounding him, including the fact that God does not feel pain or pleasure based on what's happening in the life of someone else. So that was a... a, uh, Attribute of God, I don't know the origin of it, but it was put forth by Augustine and then later carried forth by both uh, Calvin and Luther. So here, here, here's the thing. I'll just, you know, be honest. I'm not Augustine nor Calvin and Luther or Luther on my best day, but I'm gonna challenge them. I don't buy it. In my estimation, Jesus is the clearest, fullest, most complete image of God we have. If you want to know what God's like, you look at Jesus. The Old Testament, we get glimpses of God. We see God, uh, Paul says, it's like a shadow. It's, it's a mirror. You, we see images of God. We kind of get a, an idea of what God is like, but we don't see him fully. And then, boom, Jesus shows up and we go, that's it. That's what God is like right there. Jesus is the clearest illustration we have, the clearest representation we have. What is God like? You look at Jesus. Here's what I see when I see Jesus. I see a God who's filled with compassion. I see a God who's emotional. Jesus looks over Jerusalem and he weeps at the sin of Jerusalem. He, He goes to the funeral of his friend Lazarus and he weeps at the loss of his friend. And now here he is walking down the road in a random encounter with a grieving mother and it says his heart was deeply moved. See, see here's, the, the guy, the young man in the story got to come back to life. That's pretty cool. But it's really not about him. I, I think it's circumstantial that he got to come back to life. It's really about his mom. It's about her. Jesus' heart went out to her. You know, I, uh, said I never lost a child. There was a time when I thought, I might lose a grandchild. And, uh, when the twins were in the NICU and their little fragile one pound bodies kind of fighting for life, you know, the hardest part of that for me was seeing my daughter and my son-in-law live with what they were going through. That was the hardest part. And we all trusted God and we prayed and, and a lot of people prayed. A lot of people prayed. Thousands and thousands of people prayed. People all over the world prayed. But at that moment, in that place, it's not easy. It's not easy, and there's so much uncertainty in life. And I would drive back and forth from St. Vincent to visit, 
There's a, a song, there's an a artist from New Zealand, I believe, named Strahan. He just has one name, he's like Beyonce. But he, he has this song called Feel the Night. And it talks about being surrounded in darkness and knowing God's there. And I listen to it over and over again. And you see, that's the reality. That's the confidence that we have every day. No matter how dark it gets, God's there. God sees, God feels, and God moves. And that's the beauty of it. We may not see God moving right now, but he's moving. God moves on our behalf. And I want to say this. I, this week as I was preparing... I, you know, I was just thinking about all this, and I, I, I want to, I God gets it, okay? God gets it. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. It's not something we think about often, I don't know, but it struck me that God the Father was there when Jesus was dying on the cross. And I have to think about what was he feeling at that moment, and I don't understand how that works but I understand that God was there and he gets it. And he understands and there's nothing any of us ever can go through that God does not understand and feel with us. And that's the beauty of it. Whatever we experience in the course of life, God is right there with us, going through whatever we're going through with us. Look, here, here, here's the reality. We took... We were talking about this beforehand in, in, as we were praying this morning before worship. The reality is this, you cannot prevent pain. It sucks. I don't like that. But we don't live in a pain-free world. There's way, way too much going on. There are too many factors at play. There, there, are, there are too many players in the game to think that we can get through it without pain. It's a fallen world. There are forces, spiritual and physical and otherwise, that move in movement all the time. And pain is a reality, and pain will always be a reality. And we'll never live in this life in a pain-free world. We will later. But here's, here's what we can hold on to. First, that God knows there's nothing we go through that he's not aware of, and we're never alone. God will always be there with us. Whatever we experience in the course of life, God will be there with us. Any pain, any sickness, any abandonment, any, anything that anybody goes through, and frankly, everything that everybody goes through, God is going to be there with us in the midst of it all. God, so my point is I'm challenging the great theologians of history, I'm saying that God is not impassable. God is not indifferent. God is swayed by what we experience. And you need to know that. Whatever happens to you in the course of life, God is there with you in it and he understands and he gets it. And God, God feels your pain. Amen? Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.